Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Lou Stern, and I serve as an elder in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. O oh Lord, this solemn prayer comes from deep desire. May our lives be pure as candle fire. Let our every breath dispel the world's gloom. Let our spirit glow so brightly that darkness meets its doom. May we be faithfully drawn to learning as the moth is drawn to the candles burning. May our lives be devoted to serving the needy and to loving a sorrowful, ever-suffering humanity. Lead us away from the path of temptation. O oh Lord, let truth alone be our destination. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Would you please stand for our call to worship as we listen to these words from the psalmist. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let us worship God. In our full lives, it is hard often to find even a few moments of quiet. But when we do, they are often an invitation to look inward to the heart and soul. And what we see there may be beautiful or it may be ugly. In this time of quiet, let us look within and offer God the wholeness and truth of our lives through the prayer of confession. 
Gracious God, we have often wandered from your ways and chosen your own way instead. We have traveled paths that we thought sure to bring us wealth and prestige, love and honor, even when we knew they were not your paths. There have been times that we preferred the spacious halls of greed rather than the narrow path of faith. Forgive, O God, our tendency to lose our way and our forgetfulness of the direction you so clearly give us. Lead us to walk in your paths and delight in your will, trusting that we will find the spacious of your grace and the abundance of your forgiveness. These things we pray in the name of the one who is the way, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the mercies of God are from everlasting to everlasting. And that means that God forgives again and again. So this morning, accept in your hearts the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Now together, let's repeat that age-old affirmation of our faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. <clears throat> from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now in the spirit of our Wonderful love for one another. Let's share in a moment of fellowship and greeting.
Good morning. Welcome to Worship at Church of the Palms. It is great to see you here today. If you are seated on the aisle side of one of the pews, if you would take that red friendship pad, sign your name to it, pass it on down the pew. Take note of the names of the folks who are seated nearby you so that you can greet one another after worship and challenge each other to take part in our fall kickoff, which begins just after worship today. You will see... In the very center of the worship guide, the center fold, if you will, there is a picture of where all the different stations are for the fall kickoff. You can learn about the different classes and ministry opportunities for children and adults and students, and it's happening all around the campus, in the courtyard, in front of the chapel, in the campus center. At 10.30 in the campus center, we will be having a brunch as part of the fall kickoff, a pancake brunch. So we would invite you to come and join in the rock climbing wall, the bungee jumping opportunities, games and crafts, and more than that. So festive day here at Church of the Palms. Just check out uh, the tables are marked with those red heart balloons and a number of exciting ministry and serving opportunities coming up. Speaking of exciting things that are going on, you may have noticed as you walked in that the, that the worship guide felt a little bit light this morning. Anybody, anybody notice that? Yeah, the big change, big change going on here. So the worship guide is sort of transitioning to be mostly a worship guide. There'll be a couple of key announcements that are printed. For example, today on the very back page, you'll see the, the nomination form for elders, deacons, shepherding deacons. So we'll, we'll still have a couple of key announcements, but the worship guide is really mostly that. It, it guides us through our worship together. And what you will be able to pick up or receive after this service is our new monthly Connect magazine. So a lot of the announcements that used to be on the back pages of the bulletin will now be contained in this monthly magazine called Connect. And what's also in there are a number of stories about how God has been uh, at work among us. For example, in this first issue of Connect, you can read about the Day of Hope. You can read about the Nicaragua mission trip. You can read about our students at Montreat. You can read about how the orchestra went into the recording studio and recorded. So, encourage you to pick up your copy of Connect from the ushers and take it home with you and read it through. Gives you a great idea of what is coming up in, the, in this coming month. So, uh, and again, with the, uh, on, on our kickoff today, one of the tables that you'll see has to do with Family Promise. We are hosting our third set of families who are in transition temporarily without a, a permanent home, and so we will be hosting them the week of September the 13th to the 20th, still in need of volunteers, uh, both for meals and for setup and for takedown and for overnight hosts, so a great opportunity to serve those in need in our community. Also, uh, after the bulletin was printed this week, we um, learned that two of our uh, church family had, had died, and I want to let you know about that because their uh, services will be this coming week. Bill Quigley 
and uh, T.H. Edelblut died late in the week. Um, Bill's service will be here in the sanctuary Tuesday morning at 11. T.H.'s will be here in the sanctuary Thursday afternoon at 2.30. So let's please remember their uh, families and loved ones in these coming difficult days. And so with a kind of a special announcement, um, Jonathan Spivey, who often you see his back, but you get to see his face now. And Jonathan, there's a little, a lot of times with Jonathan, there's a backstory to the postlude, and, and that's the case for this morning. So would you share a bit about that? Good morning. So just a word about the postlude, as Bruce said. Um, as many of you know, know, I grew up in the country of Sweden, and my childhood was marked by long, dark winters. On these winter days, we would go to school in the dark and return home in the dark. And so during our first class, while it was still pitch black outside, we would light candles on all our desks and sing a hymn, such as this one that I'll play this morning. The text of this hymn speaks beautifully about lifting our eyes to heaven and seeing God the Father, who is described as being friend of children. And it gives me hope that each of us can defeat darkness within, with the candles that are our lives. So that's just for you to know what's going on in the postlude. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. We'll look forward to the postlude at the conclusion of the service. I'd like to invite uh, Brooks Vanderzee to come and join me here. Uh, for uh, another one of the tables that will be out there is uh, a sign-up table, information table for our Honduras mission. And um, Brooks has been involved. So tell me, Brooks, how did you get started with going to Honduras? It was about uh, six years ago. I was asked to participate in the Honduras mission. And uh, initially I said no. And uh, it was 2008, and uh, I had just been laid off. I uh, was worried about finding a new job, short on money, the economy was bad. I had a lot of reasons not to go. Uh, literally, a couple days before we're set to leave, they always leave on a Saturday, literally a couple days before we're set to leave, uh, I just woke up in the middle of the night and I said, I'm supposed to go on this mission. And uh, so I got online, I looked at airfares, expecting them to be ridiculously expensive, and they weren't, surprisingly. And uh, so I called Dale Volrath, who was organizing it in the morning. I said, can you still fit uh, me in? He said, absolutely. And I went. So that's how I initially decided to go to Honduras, pretty much a blind leap of faith. Yeah, so no preparation, just sort of feeling like God called you. How did absolutely. it go on the first trip? Uh, I, as Bruce has mentioned, I had not been to any of the planning meetings, any of the preparation meetings. Uh, I just went, and uh, it, it went Fabulous. I, I worked uh, uh, myself in a lot of what we do is recreation with the kids. I kind of fell right into that uh, a role, picked that up and ran uh, uh, with it, and it was a very rewarding trip for me and my first of what's been six trips now. So, Six times going back. Amazing. So, so is there like a, an, an image or a, a child or whatever that sort of captures what keeps bringing you back? I, I think every year you usually make some connection with one, two, three, uh, or a group of, of kids that are there. Um, uh, one that sticks out in my mind from uh, two years ago, he wasn't even participating in the program, but he had a younger brother there and he was taking him to and from the school. And uh, I, I was done with the recreation uh, portion, they were going in for music, 
and uh, I just had a football in my hand, and he's looking at me, and I see him looking at me, and he's just, he's, he's shy, and I motioned to, you know, does he want to throw the football? He said, yes. From then on, the rest of the days, he had all his neighborhood buddies in, and we had a football game uh, on the offset, <laughs> so it was, uh, um, those types of things happen, and you run into those uh, uh, kids, you make those relationships. I'll say when I initially went, it was, the thought in my mind is, what can I do for these kids in Honduras? And it's, it's not all giving. You get a lot out of it. So I'll say that uh, it's, it, it, that's been the big reward, the big epiphany for me, if you will, is you get a lot out of it. So aside from you give and in giving you receive, what would you say to someone who is thinking about praying about, oh, is this the year I go to Honduras? What advice? Stop thinking about it. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> the, uh, it's, as I mentioned, I, I had... Uh, hundred reasons not to go and you're always going to have those it's there's always going to be uh, uh, out of something now I look at it and and the idea of a regular vacation is kind of awkward for me uh, I spend my personal vacation time doing this and uh, I love it it's much more rewarding much more fulfilling than any than sitting on any beach and relaxing ever would be so <laughs> it's uh, uh, just do it if you're thinking uh, about it we do have the uh, uh, table out there in between uh, uh, services contact Someone who's been involved in it, uh, myself, Dale, uh, Marianne Volrath, and uh, ask us uh, uh, about it, and we can get you in the loop for next time. Brooks, thanks so Thank much. Thank you. Let us pray. God of grace and power, we thank you that this is not a day of violent storm. And at the same time, we ask for your favor that you will hold off the rain until noon. We give you thanks that the children and um, young adults and teachers have returned to teach and to learn at school. We thank you that today we get to kick off our program year of Christian education for all ages. We pray that you will bless the kickoff we will have so that we may be inspired to learn more about your love and to learn how to love you back. We also pray for all those who are in need of your special care today. We pray that you will be with those who were affected before the storm diminished, for those caught in war and situations of terror and oppression, for those struggling to overcome disease and for those seeking comfort from grief. We especially lift up the families of Bill Quigley and T.H. Edelblut. As you have called them home, we pray that you will comfort and give your peace to their loved ones. Bless those who carry loads of responsibilities, we pray, and for those whose lives are controlled by others' decisions. Be with our leaders, especially be with our military who risk to keep us free. Guard them and bring them back in safety, we pray. Bless the leaders of our church around the world and those who go to serve in mission. We bring our prayers to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as the ushers come forward, let us continue to worship God through the giving of our tithings and offerings.
Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for giving us all the blessings in our lives. We thank you for the privilege to give you back. We lift up and give you all these gifts that we bring together so that they may be your instruments of making more disciples for the service of Christ, near and far. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated as Laurie and our children come forward. So this is great because I was trying to trick the rain out. So I'm preparing for the rain. I have short pants on. I have an umbrella. And you know when you get all prepared like this, then the rain doesn't come. So I'm all prepared like this. And I should have done what Mingy did, was just actually pray for it. Anyway, so here we go. We are today at the fall kickoff. We are going to unveil the theme for the church family for the entire year. I need a drum roll. I need a drum roll. Kind of powerful. I just wanted to try that. So it is prepare the way of the Lord. Hmm. So to prepare is to get ready. Of course, I did think about Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. But prepare is to get ready. And in our lesson up in kids' worship today, we're talking about memorizing scripture as a way to prepare. So our story is about Jesus in the wilderness, and he has all this great scripture memorized, and that's how he beats, the, beats Satan. And so if we were to memorize scripture, it would help us when we have to make a hard decision, or maybe when we're faced with a temptation. Here's the thing. If you're memorizing scripture, which I think is so important, you have to pay attention to how you learn best. So who here would learn best, like to learn something by saying it over and over and over again. Does that help you? Like if you, one person, nobody. Imagine a spelling list too, we'll like go all over. So when you think about how you memorize things, would you write things down? Would you write it over and over again? No, not maybe, yeah. How about drawing a picture of it? Does that sort of, how in the world do you guys memorize things? <laughs> You know how I do. I like use part of sign language and then I use part of like makeup motion. So the memory verse for this week is from Psalm 119.11 and it says, I will hide your word in my heart so that I will never sin against you. So let's try that together because when you do sin, that's the best part because you get to make your ugliest mean is whatever sin looks like. Okay, so repeat. I'm going to do the first phrase. I will hide your word, I will hide your word in my heart so that I never sin against you. Let me see sin one more time. Sin? Not bad. Excellent. Okay, so there's another memory trick that we use, and my friend Carolyn Wilson is going to show us about that trick. Oh, there she comes. Uh, Carolyn, nice red outfit you have on there. That's lovely. Today, in our fall kickoff, we want your parents and all the adults in our worshiping community to take their next step in preparing the way of the Lord. And so, today we have adults in red shirts <laughs> and sitting at tables with red balloons or carrying clipboards around 
giving everyone the opportunity to sign up for classes, small groups, special events, or serving opportunities. And the best part is, anyone that signs up for just one thing, just one thing, gets to fill out an entry for a raffle for dinner for two at Bonefish Grill. How about that? Woo! Nice, thanks Carolyn. So, we have another memory trick. We get to do a great treasure hunt and all kinds of cool prizes, but if you guys would all stand up now. Parents, this is your visual cue. You need to come get these people right at 10 o'clock, right after the postload. Come right up, because we're gonna do an orientation information thing so then we can all go out and enjoy all the stuff before hopefully it rains. So let's fold our hands and let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would impress on our hearts all those great words of life that you have for each one of us so that we can take that next best step towards you. Amen. Let's go.
on my way over this morning, Mingi stopped me and said, can't you use your influence to do something about the weather? <laughs> I told her, sorry, I'm in sales, not in management. <laughs> You've probably heard other sermons based upon this text from 2 Kings this morning. I've never preached one on this text. The situation that it uh, is telling us about is one in which the Arameans were making war on Israel. And the king of Aram is frustrated because every time he has the Israelites cornered, what he doesn't know is that the prophet Elisha is giving special supernatural intelligence to the king of Israel so that the Israelites always escape. The king of Aram suspects that there's an informant in his own camp, and it is at that point where we tune in on the action. After we've read that, we'll read a companion passage from Hebrews uh, that seems to say some of the same things, that in our earthly battles here below, there's a great cloud of witnesses looking on, as though the saints in glory are cheering us on from the heavenly bleachers. We read beginning at the 11th verse of the sixth chapter of 2 Kings. The mind of the king of Aram was greatly perturbed because of all of this. He called his officers and said to them, now tell me who among us sides with the king of Israel? One of his officers said, no one, my lord king, it is Elisha the prophet in Israel who tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. He said, go and find where he is. I will send and seize him. One of the officers said, he is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots there and a great army. They came by night and surrounded the city. When an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. The servants said, Alas, master, what shall we do? And Elisha replied, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And then from the first verse of the 12th of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with per perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. You know, it's been an honor and a pleasure to be one of your summer preachers. Next week, I'll return to my usual place down here uh, where you sit and enjoy again the view from the pew. 
But I've enjoyed uh, these few times this summer, uh, making it through my own sermons and then making my wobbly way uh, back down to floor level with an assist from Pastor Bruce and the help of my trusty staff like Moses of old, although his staff did a lot of miraculous stuff that mine can't do. <laughs> but mine is collapsible for air travel. <laughs> We've gone through a number of uh, scripture passages and I have highlighted them uh, more often uh, than I would ordinarily with autobiographical material tell you, telling you my own story. How I was not as a kid brought up in Sunday school and church, but when I was 16 discovered an Old New Testament in our attic, began reading it, even began memorizing it, keeping that a secret from everyone until finally I told a girl who sat behind me in biology class and she invited me to her church and one thing led to another and I became a zealous young convert. It was a very fundamentalist church and very strict in fundamentalist ethics, at least as those were understood in that day. Obviously, there was no smoking or drinking. There was no lipstick for girls. There was no dancing, no movies. It was a change in my whole way of life, and somehow or other, it didn't seem that hard. For the rest of my time in high school and all through college, I never partied on a weekend. I never went to a dance. I never attended movies, uh, which left me lots of time to study. And uh, with that kind of good, clean living, it helped my running. At any rate, uh, the people in that church were good to me. They supported me prayerfully and patiently. But there was one big minus, and that was the pastor who wasn't really interested in the practical matters of ministry, wasn't much interested in the, in the denomination. And the result was that when I finished seminary at Princeton, I was given no guidance in how to evaluate and think analytically about a call to a church. The result was that when the placement office at Princeton sent me up to be interviewed by a church in Newburgh, New York, they made an immediate offer, and I figured, well, this is the will of God, and I said yes. And what I did not know is that when I accepted their call, I had become the captain of a sinking ship. <laughs> Shortly after I arrived, uh, the clerk of session and I had to fill out a demographic survey of the church. What I learned is that 40% of the members were over 65. Another 45% were between 55 and 65. That left 15% uh, below 55, and in that 15%, there were very few young families with children. It is as though I had become chaplain uh, of a retirement nursing home. Uh, my most frequent activity was officiating at funerals. Hardly ever did we have an infant baptism. And then there was the problem of the sanctuary. There's a picture of it on the front of your bulletin this morning. It appears to be very empty. It would seat about 600 people. There was a huge horseshoe balcony that actually began behind the pulpit and swept around. Uh, no one in my time sat up there, but 
That picture was taken in 1902. And in the years when that picture was taken, there were older people in my church who remembered as children, that sanctuary was filled. The main floor and the auditorium filled to overflowing Sunday morning and Sunday evening under the, the spell of a, 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 a bewilderingly good young prince of the pulpit, Alexander B. Jack, who preached fiery, eloquent sermons. He was a protege of the famous Henry Ward Beecher. Indeed, Henry Ward Beecher had preached from that pulpit at his installation. There, were, there was a glorious history of great preachers. Two of the pastors had been seminary presidents. One of them, Charles Cuthbert Hall, was the president of the great Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Those were the golden years. But in 50 years since then, by the time I arrived, the neighborhood had changed. People had moved out to the edge of the city. And so the sanctuary in my time was mostly empty. On a good Sunday morning, on a good one, I might have 75 people. Most often it was 50 or less. Until I arrived, they closed the church in the summer because nobody came. So there I was standing in front of a largely empty sanctuary, uh, talking to, preaching to 25 or 30 people. It wasn't much of a crew to keep this little ship afloat. Then I learned that uh, there had been even entrees from a big church up the street that wanted us to merge and just take us in and save us before we died. The annual budget of the church, the annual total budget was $7,800, of which $3,600 was my salary. Uh, it was a very hopeless situation, and it was very tempting, therefore, for me, as a brilliant young seminary graduate, to believe, to believe that I perhaps was wasting my fragrance in the desert air. Well, you know, I came up with a crazy strategy. You had to do something to stay alive. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to ignore the empty spaces, and I'm going to preach as though the golden years have come back. I'm going to pretend that the balcony is full. I'm going to pretend that the sanctuary is full. And I would, when I would write my sermons, I wrote them by hand. And in Princeton in those days, we were trained to preach without notes, without a manuscript, so that I made the sermon a Sunday morning performance. I would get myself all psyched up, and I would go in on Sunday morning, and I would preach down here where no one was sitting, and people would look down to see if they'd missed something. I would <laughs> preach up here to the balcony, and up here to the balcony. I did it so convincingly that on one Sunday morning, one old man looked up to see if there was anybody up there. <laughs> well, here's my question. Was the balcony really empty? Is the balcony ever empty? Is there more here than we can see? Could it be, as in the passage from 2 Kings, in our earthly battles down here below, that the heavenly hosts are looking on the horses and chariots of fire? There are many Christians who believe that. The saintly John Chrysostom, the saintly Bishop of Constantinople in the fourth century said, Open your eyes of faith and you'll behold a theater of spectators. 
For if the air is full of angels, how much more the church? Because some Christians believe that. Are the angels here and we can't see them? Or there's the passage in Hebrews that we've read that suggests that the saints in glory are up there in that empty balcony, that they're cheering us on from the heavenly bleachers. Is there more here than we can see? Whether you believe in angels or in the heavenly bleachers, there was at least one thing I was doing. I was preaching to their memories. The old folks there as I preached saw me preach to the balcony. Some of them must have remembered those were the days. And I was preaching to hopes and prayers. Maybe as I preached, some of the old folks were praying, Lord, somehow or other, save this little ship of ours, fill this church again, fill that balcony again. You know, the balcony is never empty. One thing that I began to learn in those early years is that there's more here than you can see. There are heartbreaks here this morning. There are lonely hearts. There are hearts on the edge of ecstasy. Someone on the cliff's edge of despair. There are the hopes and fears of all the years. There's a huge invisible agenda that's always filling the sanctuary whenever you preach. There was a little old lady in one of my churches Nobody knew her very much. She lived alone, just a nice little old lady. And she phoned one night and said, will you come and sit with me because I don't think I'm going to make it through the night. And so I went. And she said it would be so easy to turn on the gas and lie down in bed and it would all be over. She had been fighting the possibility of suicide for months. And here I was preaching to her on Sunday morning and was never aware of that going on. There's more here than meets the eye. We're always preaching to hopes and dreams and fears, happy hearts and broken hearts. And do you know, that applies to you in your ministry, too. Out there in the world where you bear witness to your faith, whether by words or by what I call the wordless witness of your life, who knows what's going on? The checkout girl at the supermarket, she looks troubled today. She's wondering if she's pregnant and will her guy stick with her? What shall we do? The man who picks up your trash, he has hopes and dreams too. The waitress at your table at dinner, she's singing down in her heart, help me make it through another night. The guy sitting at the bar staring into the bottom of an empty glass trying to find something that he lost along the way. The balcony is never empty. We're always preaching to something that is big and invisible, and there is an eternal weight of glory hanging over every life. You know, that's why the old Scots called the pulpit the sacred desk, because big stuff is going on here. Well, anyway, I continued my preaching to that imaginary congregation, but 
you know, there are tired old churches, the congregation, the neighborhood has moved away, and no amount of sermonic CPR is going to bring them back to life. I knew, and my old officers knew, that my imaginary congregation wasn't paying the bills. <laughs> and so we met together and decided we've got to get out of here. We've got to buy some property, build us a little church that fits us. In those days, you could build a nice ranch home for 25,000, so less than 50,000, maybe 40,000, we could build a nice little church for ourselves. We went and looked at a piece of property. And the man selling it said, uh, what do you want this for? And we said, well, we want to build a church. And he said, I want to show you something. His son had bought one of those old Hudson River castles, the kind that were built in the early part of the 20th century, the late 19th, that, uh, that surrounded the hills above the Hudson. He took us there the next day. It was an English Tudor mansion, 29 rooms, uh, lots of room for a Sunday school classes, even a bar and a billiard room. We went into a large living room. I thought, well, I guess this is going to be my church. And he said, I want to show you something. We walked across the living room. He opened the door, and we were standing on the balcony of what looked like a ballroom. Stained glass windows, lime chestnut paneling. The original owner, builder, called it his music room. And what was there down at the end of the room but a pipe organ? It's sitting there waiting to be made into a beautiful little sanctuary, $65,000. We, we, we had to go for it, add pews and pulpit, and away you go. About a week later, another miracle walked down the street. The pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church came to see me, and he said, uh, now, Morgan, I don't want to insult you, but we, uh, we noticed that there are not many of you coming to this church. Would you sell us your church? We sold it to them for $35,000. Well, we went to the new building. They moved into ours, and we had a, a great service when we passed the keys to them. And I was the preacher that afternoon, preaching to a largely black congregation. And my congregation never heard me preach that way. I had all kinds of support. Amen, brother. Make it plain. <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am. And you know, when I preached that day, the balcony was full. God had a plan for that balcony. God's people, in God's time, in God's way. Well, everything changed after that. Our church, we didn't become a, a mega church. We became a younger church, the budget quadrupled. But the great thing that happened was something invisible. Because I lived in that church. There was an apartment for my family. Uh, my first child, my daughter, Hilly, was three. She thought she was a princess living in a castle. But more than anything, it was my church. It, it, I lived in my church. Many ministers have to drive to their church. I just, I lived there all the time. And at the end of the day, I would go into the sanctuary, turn on the lights over the communion table, and that's where I would pray. I lived in my church until I suddenly realized my church lived in me. The time would come when I would leave there. The presbytery urged me to go to a 
racially integrated church outside of the Bronx that was in trouble, and so I accepted that call. On the last Sunday that I was there, the final hymn was the hymn that we sing at the end of every service after the benediction. But I carried that little sanctuary with me. I can hardly pray without remembering being in that sanctuary and realizing that that little sanctuary now lived in my heart. And you know, God has given us imagination because there's some little sanctuary someplace in your heart. When you pray, do you see the church of your childhood? Or is it a quiet mountain lake or a place in the mountains or by the sea? When we pray, we see certain things. And those images, those little sanctuaries within our heart help to keep us in the presence of God. So I say to you, learn what I learned. Live in your church, in that little sanctuary within your heart. Whether it's a special place in nature or some special picture or the remembrance of some dear church, stay in that sanctuary. Live your life out of it. It'll make you a person of kindly silence. You will speak prayerfully. You will live hopefully. You will see everybody, even people who are impossible. You will see them with hope, with optimism. You'll see them dressed in their Sunday best self. Invite troublesome people into that little sanctuary. Talk things through in your imagination with them. Live in that sanctuary. Stay in that presence. And someday, maybe, you lift up your eyes and you will see those horses and chariots of fire. And maybe on that day, they'll be coming to carry you home. God be with you till we meet again.
as there, this service ends and when you go from this place today, go with your eyes lifted up to see what the Lord is doing all around you. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forever. Amen.